You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer.
This is Ken Vellante with the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast, and I have Megan Lamb. So excited to have you on the show, and welcome to the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. Yeah, thanks, Ken. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I always uh, like I try to tell like how I encountered the the art uh, of my guests. So I want to tell you a little bit. Um, so I, I go up to Portland uh, quite a bit, Portland, Oregon, and Powell's Bookstore, uh, which is a union bookstore uh, staffed by union workers. And what's happened over the last few years, I've gotten a lot in, more into like alternative, small press, zines. And for the longest time, I would never like really like dig in there. And um, they had your book. Uh, my partner, Jenny found it and said, well, this is the one we're going to get. And, um, and then was excited to encounter, uh, your music as well and kill scenes, um, that you do as well in, uh, encountering your art. Um, I wanted to start Megan and, and, and ask you about the things you create. When did you see yourself, um, as an artist, as a creator? Oh, gosh. I mean, there are many different variations of that question. Um, the answer that I often give for my students when they um, uh, when they ask how I first became a writer, um, they're usually asking how I first uh, became a writer uh, that published their writing, that was writing uh, beyond the shadows of, uh, of the uh, process behind the screen. Um, and I, um, I had been writing and I'd been like on literary magazine and whatnot, uh, when I was in high school, but, um, I didn't have, uh, well, I had family members who were involved in opera, but I, I don't think I ever thought that I would become a writer as a viable creative option for some reason. Yeah. Um, my, my mom thought for a long time that I would be a lawyer and told people for a long time oh. uh, that I would be a lawyer, uh, even though I had no designs on being a lawyer uh, when I was an undergrad. Uh, and uh, then when I graduated and was kind of floundering for what to do next, uh, for some reason, the only viable careers uh, my parents came up with were, uh, you can be a teacher or uh, you can be a dentist. And I have a uh, repulsion toward mouths. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I read somewhere at some point that dentists have like the highest suicide rate. Of I heard that profession, too. And yeah. I, I understand why. Uh, mouths are disgusting. Touching them is abhorrent. I would never want to be a dentist. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, in my, uh, can't remember if it was my June, no, it was my senior year, definitely my senior year of undergrad. Um, I, I didn't take uh, writing classes in undergrad. I was a communication and culture major at Indiana University, uh, which is kind of like uh, media and rhetoric studies. Um, but I had uh, this class, I forget what the class even was, but um, the final was to either uh, write an ethnography of different generations of your family. Uh, and um, the professor was uh, really interested in experimental ethnography, like narrative ethnography. Yeah, yeah. Um, she uh, wrote a series of uh, wonderful books 
about, um, well, uh, based on interviews with people who believed they had been abducted by aliens. Yeah. Um, that kind of, uh, I guess now you might even call it like a kind of auto fiction, but it's basically interweaving like uh, her reportage and like her, her research uh, with kind of the experience of uh, being in the field and like yeah. her, her personal perspective on it. But I wrote, um, I wrote an ethnography of um, my grandmother, mother and me and kind of like, examined uh, our different like comings of age uh, as women via uh, this fairy tale that my grandmother used to tell me when I was a kid. Um, and my, my professor uh, kind of pulled me aside and was like, this is a really interesting piece of experimental fiction. You should publish this. And I hadn't really been setting out to write a piece of fiction I hadn't thought of it that way it wasn't necessarily my first time writing fiction but I think it was kind of accidentally my first encounter with the kind of fiction I wanted to write by way of me accidentally writing that thing and yeah. for for years like it was really difficult for me to write a follow-up story just because I wanted to write something as innovative in its approach to what fiction could be as what I had accidentally <laughs> written before. Yeah. Uh, but that ended up not only being uh, the first short story I published, but it ended up being kind of my way into thinking about fiction as this expanded thing and as this uh, expanded possibility. Um, but yeah, it's... It, like it's, it feels very backwards in a lot of ways to teach creative writing now and encounter like some of my colleagues' ideas of what it means to teach about craft and some of my students' ideas via uh, their exposure to other dialogues that I wasn't exposed to at their age about what craft means. Because my introduction to craft was, oh, that thing that you wrote is fiction. It is. Publish it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then I kind yeah. of learned about writing by way of uh, publishing and reading literary magazines and discovering my strange peers such as they are. Yeah. I, um, well, there's something, I mean, just as a little point within it, there's something about, you know, I, um, I, I've read a massive amount ever since uh, I was a kid or listened to books. Or, and there's something about, um, I don't know why you use experimental, but a, a fiction or poetry, whether it's by the structure or by how it's formed and what it's saying that remains like so fresh. Like I can, you can always read something within writing that, is messing or feels ed edgy on, on, on that. And that's something that's so exciting about that. Um, within writing, I felt that within, within your work, I was like, when I was reading coward, uh, your book, I was like, I always like this aspect when I'm reading of like, wait a second, you can't do that. You know, like that, 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 that there's something there that's like so surprising. Um, in your comments, did we getting that and, and feeling that um, what you're supposed to do with writing is more heavily defined 
uh, or you have to fight against that, uh, some of those structures and form, or do you, was your environment where you felt free to experiment? Um, well, I, um, I was publishing for like 15 years before I, uh, decided to get my MFA. So I kind of had my own renegade, uh, self-driven education by way of just, uh, discovering things, um, so I, um, I was uh, fortunate in a lot of ways to um, uh, come about my understanding of what it means to be a writer without uh, this set expectation of what you could and couldn't right. do. Yeah. Um, I always tell my students now that uh, if you aren't, constantly trying to get away with something, uh, then you haven't really found your voice or what you want to do as a writer. I like um, what you just said. I'm yeah, sorry. I think, I think that's an important <laughs> part of the process is trying to do things that shouldn't be done. Um, and, and hopefully that extends to music as well. Although I, I don't feel like I can really take credit for that necessarily or in the same way in music because it's a collaborative process. Um, yeah, writing it, writing also um, more than people necessarily acknowledge or are conscious of is a collaborative process. No book is really written in a vacuum or by one author. Um, it's always written uh, in a kind of uh, echo chamber, even if it's a weird subconscious echo chamber of other voices and other influences and other conversations. Yeah, I um, I I, I had mentioned I encountered uh, your music, and I was like, "Oh wow! Oh oh!" In a cover of "Short Term Effect" by The Cure, I'm like, "Okay, okay." I, 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 I bumped into the right spot. Um, I was excited to see. I was excited to see that project. Uh, "Short Term Effect," uh, this the song. I heard that cover and. Uh, uh, it's quite amazing, uh, by the way. And I'm so glad that you liked it. We we got um, a pretty uh, across the board positive response, but the um, the critical responses that we've gotten made me laugh a lot. <laughs> no, no, no. Let me let me. And I, I, I here here's here's the thing. First, I want to talk about that because like I'm 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 an obsessive Cure fan, right? So. When I first saw the title, I'm excited. Oh, Megan Lamb. Oh, this too. Uh, in the band Kill Scenes. Um, and I saw a short-term effect. And I would say, you got some balls. That's not an easy song to even... What do you do with it? There's some of the stuff in The Cure, which is just with the mood and the elements. It's just like, oh. But the song drops into that like you capture it and it's a different version and i was like holy shit because for me that's a tough that's a tough one in my cure head like to <laughs> like to do so you, you you hit it and um so i was i was really stoked in hearing that and in hearing the other music but tell me about like tell me about song and tell me about like why why you're doing that and what that's like um, putting that together in your other music. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, it was kind of 
Sean's choice of song. Um, yeah, I don't know how far back with the band to go. Um, the band originally started as uh, me and Sean um, uh, 13 years ago. Wow. Um, uh, but um, I had... Uh, We, we had gone to um, undergrad together. Um, we had lived in Bloomington, Indiana at the same time. And we, um, Bloomington, Indiana, when we went uh, to school there, um, had a really thriving, uh, like, basement show and house show culture. Um, there were always, like, three or four punk shows going on every night of the week. Uh, nobody ever made plans to hang out because you just knew that you would see whoever you wanted to see at the show or you wouldn't and you'd see them at a different show, yeah. uh, which was fun and frustrating. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we um, we were sort of like uh, always orbiting around each other and like friendly in that way, but also like uh, never knew when we were going to run into one another because that's kind of how Bloomington music worked. Um, but we both uh, moved to Chicago after undergrad um, and did a couple other things uh, after that, but or before that. Or, uh, <laughs> and uh, in, in any event, um, I'm trying to think of like when this incident, uh, shortly before I moved to Chicago, I can't remember what we were doing, but, um, somehow I found myself visiting Chicago with some friends and, uh, we were doing karaoke and, um, uh, I was singing a, a bunch of Kate Bush songs and that was kind of how Sean, uh, got it into his head that he wanted to make a band with me <laughs> hearing me sing these Kate Bush songs. Um, but uh, he sent me this uh, long, kind of awkward, adorable message uh, asking me to be in a band with him. And uh, uh, <laughs> looking back on it, he says that he didn't expect me to respond favorably, but I responded like five minutes after he sent it. I was like, sure, of course. <laughs> when yeah. can we start? Yeah. And I like got together with him that evening and we recorded our first song. Um, he, he had like some, uh, like a rough track and like uh, some bits and bobs of lyrics in this little uh, notebook that looks like a video cassette. And, uh, I, I got together with him that evening and uh, I helped him fill in the rest of the lyrics and then we recorded the song after we wrote it. Uh, and that was kind of how uh, we went about all the rest of the songs on the album. He'd have kind of a rough track and we'd figure out what else we wanted to happen with it and um, we'd kind of write the lyrics together. It's um, a lot more of him putting together the track in advance these days because we don't have quite as much time. And also uh, there's the whole thing where <laughs> I moved out of the city and moved around and did other things and came back two years ago. And uh, I, I was coming, the band had existed uh, as different iterations of itself in my absence uh, so I just kind of messaged Sean. I was like, 
I uh, moved back to Chicago. Um, I don't know if you'd be interested in working together again, but I could maybe like do guest vocals on a song here or there. He's like, what are you saying? We started the band together. You're back in the band. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we... Um, this is our fifth album that we're putting together now. I'm not sure how the covers are going to end up in relation to the album. Um, I, I know that um, we have kind of a series of covers. Um, one that's already recorded um, uh, by Snowy Red. It's actually like, his cover of a uh, Mark Bolin, David Bowie song that was unfinished that they worked on together. Oh, really? Um, I love Mark. And uh, <laughs> we have two other mystery covers that Sean apparently has the tracks for, and he won't tell me what they are um, until he's done with them. But <laughs> in his words, I'm going to shit myself. So hopefully they're going to be good. Hey, um, talk about a te- talk about a teaser here. We, we that's all the information we got with Megan, but he, he said like one of them I'm going to shit myself like, "Oh wow, that's so good." And the other one I'm going to shit myself cuz it's funny. So I don't know what go. that means, but I'm looking there forward to finding out. Well, we'll have we'll have uh we'll we'll have links uh so everybody can stay in touch with what those <laughs> what those will be and they can make their determination i was um no i really i i I really dig on the sound in in the music and uh i just had this recent thing with um that i that i've been uh trying or maybe thinking about a little bit with um uh dancing in 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 goth clubs you know like i'm i'm uh i'm 51 i uh i've never been a big dancer um, but I like to dance. Um, it's been more like an opportunity when I get out. And I had a conversation with a guest, the singer, uh, Pieta Brown, and we just ended up talking about dancing. And uh, I was starting to think about it more. And I went out this past weekend. I had one of the most amazing weeks and intense weeks that I've had in my day job working in labor uh, for labor unions. But also like on the weekend, went out two nights in a row to a goth club and like danced. And I got to tell you, like for me, it was a bigger, it was two things. It was both in my head and my body, right? Like I just like danced in like really enjoyable, really good environment. But the other thing was too, was like, there's this freedom that exists like in goth music and goth scene, both in uh gender or like, celebration of darkness which is in turn a celebration of life there's this deep freedom in that environment that i had been in before that just felt so good and i was like man i'm liking like just creating a new habit of going out dancing at a goth club and the thing is too megan was like kind of like the freedom of association and talking to people. Look, it's Portland, Oregon. Not everybody's a gem, right? Like it's, it's who knows. Right. But it was like a friendly and open in a way that I don't know, it's just felt really good. Um, so I've been diving back into that. And on the time, 
um, you know, talking about uh, the the cure and such. But for me, it was far more profound than like, hey, I like that cure song. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was it was like a deep experience. So, like, I'm excited to connect into that and then to listen to that music because it's far more for me. It was far more important just recently uh, for me. And uh, so the main point is I went dancing, Megan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I'm sure you weren't the only 51 year old there. <laughs> I Well, but that's part of what I, I love so much about um, some of the shows that we've been playing over the last two years is that um, there's, uh, I feel like a lot of diversity, at least in the Chicago um like dark music scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see people of all different races, like everyone from like age 21 to like 61. All right, Um, 61. Good, 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 good. (laughs) No, no, you're, I I, I doubt you were even uh, remotely the oldest person there. No, no, they didn't. Like I wasn't, I I was like throwing it because I was thinking about it in, in, in the context because the number was only important in the sense that this is an idea I'm embarking mm-hmm. on now. And I would like, uh, late twenties, I lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I used to go to a great goth bar. Um, and another thing too is I don't drink anymore. And I drank then. Uh-huh. And so like now it's, now it's not drinking and like more like energy expenditure. And it isn't like the club drinking for me. So it's, different in that in in that way but um really dig on the environment and and chicago when you mentioned chicago i i adore chicago and um you know i think uh the industrial maybe dark wave scene there some of the history of chicago and um music in chicago just has a great great feel for me and i i think industrial i think goth and um is it a pretty big scene there uh still it is, but it's a, uh, gosh, it's a really, um, really competitive. Well, I mean, it, it's not a competitive scene in the sense that there isn't camaraderie between musicians, because I feel like it's a very uh, generously engaged uh, community, but there's just like so much going on. It's so hard to break through past a certain level. I feel like anymore, I know. Uh, tons and tons of musicians who are kind of parallel to us or like uh, in in a friend group with us. But when I'm trying to like find a headliner for a show or someone who's going to like get people out to a show on a weeknight, it's really, really difficult. Um, You mentioned Milwaukee. Are you originally from Milwaukee? So I have uh, a story in my life where I head west. So I grew up in, uh, I was born and grew up in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Um, And, uh, but I lived in Wisconsin for 12 years. I, uh, when I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I uh, was studying philosophy. So I'd be credentialed for my podcast, studying uh, master's in philosophy at Marquette and uh, a, a bunch of my other time in uh, nearby Madison. So I'd head into Milwaukee quite a bunch. Uh, love that music scene. Metal. I'm a metal head too. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I was uh, excited to get 
um, to Milwaukee because it was such a different scene and, and music scene and um, uh, really enjoy the metal there. And when I get out, I'm in Oregon now. When I got out here, um, I was shocked and excited by how big metal was in the Pacific Northwest. It's mm-hmm. like I'm really big into doom and stoner metal. Um, so there's a lot of that out here, but when we're talking Chicago and Portland, we're talking two two good music scenes here. Yeah. And Milwaukee. I, I adore Milwaukee. So. All right, Megan, I got a big question for you. A big okay. question. <laughs> what is art? What is art? Oh, my God. Art is like, uh, uh, I don't know, like a strange uh, spasm of the brain on one hand. And on the other hand, it's like a, a, a practice that you get into that's the only way life is livable. <laughs> yeah. So some combination yeah. of those two things. Um, yeah. And, and sometimes... Uh, those two things that art is uh, feel like they mesh together. Sometimes they feel like they're combative with one another, but um, I, I think in sometimes at the same time, sometimes uh, in, in spurts there, <laughs> it, it can be both things. Yeah. That dynamic that you described makes a lot of, makes a lot of sense to me. I haven't heard it described in that way. I, I like that. Um, so uh tell us about tell us about the uh, most recent book the one I found in uh, the great bookstore uh Powell's Coward tell us tell us about that and uh Yeah maybe... and I have to ask out of personal curiosity yeah, is yeah, that yeah, the yeah. first thing I've written that you've read Uh yes I yes. love that. That yeah. makes me so happy. Um a lot of people like if they see my uh novel uh, for sale at a place, and they also see um, that more novella-length book. Mm-hmm. Um, they they buy the novel because it looks like the bigger, more important book. Um, mm-hmm. Which I nothing against my own novel. I that press in particular is um, my favorite small press right now. Um, Apocalypse Party. Uh, uh, ben DeVos is such a great guy in so many ways. Um, also great taste in music. Um, oh, also a metalhead. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, yeah. I, Coward is uh, definitely the most personal and personally exposing thing I've ever written. So it, I, I feel very tenderly toward it. Um, it was written kind of um, with a person in mind, the first person I ever had like a, a, I don't want to say a crush, like a uh, first person I was ever in love with, like in much in the way uh, the the female uh, adolescent character is in this book. Um, but she's still one of my best friends in the world. And uh, she <laughs> lives uh, actually a couple blocks over from me. And my husband and I uh, are really close friends with her and her husband. And we still hang out all the time. Wow. Um, I... 
I know she has a copy of this book, and I I think she has read some of it. Uh, She hasn't talked about it with me yet. (laughs) I'll be very curious to hear from her eventually, maybe someday. But the the podcast needs a little intrigue. Drop that in there. That's cool. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, sorry, I I interrupted you. You no. um, no, no, I'm excited to hear about your sponsor. No, I, um, yeah, I uh, uh, bumped into it and grabbed it and uh, quite, you know, I, I've i been, uh, just not to, to, just to expand just a little bit, on the show, I've had the ability at times, like when it comes to writing, the writers that I've had on, writers and poets, they always feel like this like strong energy or experimentation or deep importance of what's talking about or transgressive or open and experimental. And there's so much energy in that. You know, I think sometimes if people get cynical or stodgy around literature, they're just not looking at the right section or they, you know, they're caught up in, 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 in some habits. So um, in describing the book, as you said, uh, uh, with uh, being uh, personal and um, uh, what was it? What, what was it? The piece that you were excited about uh, me again, it was that, um, do people veer away from it or was it like you said as they they go to the other thing you're excited to hear oh i think it's just that it's short (laughs) it's it's a skinnier book people (laughs) people like the big book right 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 uh well if you buy tolstoy and you calculate it per page and you go to good use book prices like this is half a cent (laughs) half half a cent a page I'm, i'm getting value uh go into coward some more yeah um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, it's been, it, it's my most recent, uh, book that I've published, but it, it, it feels like I published it very recently and also feels like a long time ago, um, in part because I published, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm realizing I published three books during the pandemic, which, uh, what what a time to publish three books. Um, uh, but that's part of why time feels so amorphous in relation to these books coming out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was um, uh, kind of like two different projects that I had wanted to write for a while uh, were um, something related to the experience of living in Spokane for the weird brief window that I did where um, there were um, the forest fires, especially in the latter part of the summer. And there was literally like black smog engulfing the whole sky. And it looked like it was like the dead of night uh, in the middle of the day. And we had to keep our windows closed and stay inside and it was like 110 degrees and we didn't have air conditioning. Oh my and God. It still just smelled like burning everywhere. And yeah. I felt like I was going insane. Um, I did too. And yeah, I, I wanted to write something about that. Um, and sadly, I only lived in Spokane um, 
during that period of the summer where oh, it's good, like great, probably great the worst time to, to live there. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah. Uh, when I, it, it's a long story, but uh, when I moved out, like that was like the day that I left was like the first nice day that I'd had there. Uh, it was like October and uh, the leaves were turning and there wasn't, black smoke in the sky and there what could have been what could have been yeah yeah i mean i i guess we we feel most tenderly about a place the day that we're leaving it but i i i always felt like spokane in many ways feels like uh like midwest rust belt town uh in the pacific northwest uh depending on what you consider the pacific northwest so I, I really wanted to write something about uh, fires in Spokane, especially since my um, first novel uh, deals with an underground fire, a different kind of fire. But um, I wanted to write that, and I wanted to write a book about uh, this um, like kind of first relationship I ever had, even though I don't know if anyone would consider a relationship where um uh it was like a deep friendship but the relationship was kind of through this imagined uh well just like it is in the book like this kind of weird role playing over the internet um and i i don't know at at some point uh in the pandemic i think uh i think it was the experience of like feeling like all of my friendships (laughs) were taking place over the internet and like everything existed in this kind of, uh, this kind of ether, um, this ether of liminal contact. Um, I think that somehow was, uh, what gave me the idea of synthesizing these two books that I had wanted to write for a while. Um, and and what more natural time to um, uh, sit inside and uh, communicate over a dark screen than uh, when there yeah. are uh, black uh, fires consuming the sky and you can't go outside. I wanted to before I'm going to ask you to read a little bit from Coward, but before that, I wanted to talk about. I had that deep visceral response to the fires that you're talking about. Um, in the, in the summer there in the deep heat and the apocalypse as far as my brain just like um how i saw it like i was i was in um mid valley in, in in oregon right and I, I i think about in terms of natural disasters right so i grew up on the east coast uh hurricane once in a while you get used to a hurricane and and when i lived in the midwest tornadoes which Scared the mm-hmm. shit out of me more than anything in the entire universe. It's like they scared I don't the understand. shit out of me, but they're also kind of exhilarating. Oh, I, I'll look at them. I'll look at video. Like I can watch it. Um, oh, could not be more fascinated. Scared the living shit out of me to my core. And then, like out here, so I uh, so there's these fires going on, right? And it's during the pandemic, and the fires were so extreme. I forgot a pandemic was going on. Honestly, I was like, we're gonna be burnt to a crisp. But it happened because 
so you remember, I grew up in those different geographies, and this is the yeah. first time this happened in Pacific Northwest where these fires and how they're blowing like towards like the cities and they're like, winds better shift, things need to change because these things are blowing across. And I was like walking around. I like I asked people because like yes, people always live there. And I'm like, oh, so like, what do you do? And they're like, we've never seen this before. But in my head at that time, I thought that this is something maybe everybody reacted to. And once people said that to me, that like they had no clue, I was like, I'm so scared right now. I'm like, mm-hmm. like can I talk to somebody about what's going to happen or what we should be doing? Because I'm looking at it and the fires are blowing this way. And then winds died down, shifted and all that stuff. And there was still all this smoke. But I was like so weirded out and freaked out by it. I was like, people, like, what do we do? Like, like hell's coming. (laughs) So I remember those fires. (laughs) It makes you realize that hell was there all along. (laughs) Ah, talking to the, I'm talking to the quick, the quick writer, uh, turn that phrase. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so, uh, you going to read us some coward? Sure. Um, Yeah, I'll just read a bit from the beginning. Um, I was debating whether to read one of the dead body parts, but I'll just read a bit from the beginning. The sky is burning up again the way it does each August, like some ritual, some letting out of blood. It smells a bit of blood, of iron, say the people from this town. Some say it smells like ore, dark sediment, charred skin. Meanwhile, the factories that used to make their own gray streams of sediment stand still and silent, gathering the drifts. It always starts out with the blonde hairs of the hills standing on edge, bristled and ready with their bleedy scabs of brush. The smoke begins to rise, a shimmer hover over cracked soil, snake skins, and the ache stretch skeleton ribs of old rail lines. The shimmer turns to shadows, turns to ash. The sky turns gray, then darker gray, then black. The mountain forests burn, the winds rise, winds of clouds of hot debris, of smoldering destruction carried through the high plains. Don't worry, someone tells you, for you haven't lived through other Augusts here, No, you do not know. No, you are not used to this. They come in August. Yes, they burn their way through August. And we stay in, wait until September, but it passes every year. Don't worry, they insist, for you look skeptical. Don't worry. It is natural. It is a part of life. A cleansing process. Yes, a learning process. How to learn to wait, to wait in hot, dark rooms, looking out windows, till it's safe to go outside. Outside, among the shadows of the factories, the zombies gather. In their certain alleys, certain streets they've marked with piss and shit and needles and used big gulps that were filled with who the fuck knows what. The streets that everybody knows do not go down. Inside, 
Among the shadows of a curtained room, he lies naked and pale across the bare slab of his mattress. He has it out again, the picture that she sent him, that he knows he shouldn't keep of her, of them, Kate McLean's perfect breasts. The perfect breasts are as they always are and always will be, rounded, pointed, and resplendent in the dim light, glowing globes of milk glass in the dim light, bowls of soft fog in the dim light, cusps of cold skin there but not there, here held in his pinched hand in the dim light. He runs the other hand over the slick bulge of his belly, feels the pain of it digesting what he just consumed, a meal of cigarettes and condiments, whatever shit he left in the fridge, whole jars of olives, pickles, tube of yellow mustard, a few desperate scrapings of some old congealed marmalade and something else that tasted sweet but now tastes sour. He feels so full and so unsatisfied. He hisses in between soft teeth, his mouth reeks of Virginia Slims and pickle juice. The room is dry waves of this sealed warmth, but he feels wet with what he doesn't understand, with longing or with loneliness. No, no, it isn't loneliness, he thinks, tapping his raw nails on the Polaroid's ridge, wishing but not wishing she was ever there. The perfect breasts are there. The perfect breasts are what he has. The perfect breasts are smirking at the seething of his belly bulge. He knows that Kate McLean would say, Why are you doing that? What do you want? What are you doing? What is wrong with you? It is this, the raw new nerves, the underskin itch. It is this, the shining scabs of his scalp, the cragged lines of his chin, and this, the sad, inevitable swelling of his cock, and this, the weird rise of a pain that has no surface. Was that your answer to what is art? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the the weird rise of a pain that has no surface, that that seems like a pretty good answer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I struggle after a great reading. I just want to say thank you, Megan. Thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you, Ken. Yeah. That's, it's my honor. I, yeah. Thank you for appreciating it. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, on the show, one of the, one of the, I, I in, in doing it over a few years, you know, when I started, I didn't know like what performances or, or what experiences would be there. Um, but I've been really excited. Um, actually released a spoken word episode. I'll try to track down and, and get over to you. You might, you might dig it short. It's like 10 minutes, but um, I've had that in the shows and um, I've had like three Dublin poets, you know, and spoken, spoken word and, and other authors. And it's just like, these discrete, amazing things of performance that uh, I adore. And of course, music being, you know, uh, more typical with, you know, with, with the song. So um, how's the book doing? Like, uh, where's it getting? (laughs) Like, 
Like, like <laughs> it's not doing well, Ken. It's no, not no, doing well. <laughs> not like I'm not saying if it's number three. I'm not saying. No, all right, all right. I asked the author question. No, not if it's number three on the the Amazon list of 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 dark zombie uh, visceral. No, not on that on that list. But um, what 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 are what are what are people saying when they encounter it? Uh, yeah, I I like that as a litmus test for for how it's doing, rather than who or how many people is, have read it. Um, well, that's the thing. <laughs> Not enough people have read it for me to, um, yeah, I'm really, uh, squinting my way through an answer to this question. But well, I mean, how about, how about, how about this part? Like you had mentioned that the, the, the level of, of, uh, you know, that a personal and, and, and putting that out there let's just talk about the initial effect of you, you know, doing that. Was that, was that a, a, a leap for you? You know, writers are brave, but was that a, was that a jump? Um, I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about how, I don't know. I, I, I I think part of, uh, I don't want to say what I'm grieving or uh, what feels strange about this book for me is that I almost needed a, well, and I don't want to say a test to myself, but it was a, maybe a challenge to myself in some ways. Like um, my last book, um, like a lot of it was, uh, me trying to kind of bridge the gaps in a relationship that I knew was going to end. Uh, and it was kind of uh, a book full of vulnerability and self-exposures, but they were self-exposures related to a marriage that I realized by the end I was going to have to say goodbye to. Uh, and this is a more, uh, well, feels like a more, direct kind of self-exposure. Like I, I was very conscious and very anxious in uh, my novel, uh, Failure to Thrive, of writing toward these territories, uh, writing about this place that I didn't grow up in, um, uh, kind of uh, as a way to like synthesize uh, elements of my own background and my own interest that I saw in the place that my ex-husband grew up. Um, so it felt like there was a lot of myself in that book, but it was like a lot of myself by way of uh, writing about others and myself in terms of finding uh, an efficacious way or the most efficacious way um, and the most uh, uh, responsible way of of writing about others or uh, maybe examining examinating examining myself by way of writing about I like others. examinating examinating <laughs> yeah like, maybe, maybe that's a, another word entirely I think that's part of my uh <laughs> compulsive problem examinating way 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 too much <laughs> it's like some kind of syndrome but yeah this this book felt different like I 
I think after I I wrote and published that book that was kind of examining myself by way of others, I needed to write something that was more of a directly personal self-exposure. Um, and not only is it like kind of an exposing personal book, but like it has... Um, so the long story, uh, or long story short, um, I um, had uh, I had wanted to work with my friend Devin Stakonis, who uh, had been talking about uh, doing this uh, art project where uh, she wanted to go into morgues and do kind of. Uh, still life drawings, I guess you'd call them, of, yes. of the bodies. Um, but she wanted to, like, uh, draw them in such a way that uh, the counters of the flesh uh, resembled landscapes. Because um, she she deals a lot, well, now she deals a lot in the intersections between uh, landscape and the body. But uh, this this project as she was conceptualizing it uh, felt in some ways like the germination of uh, a direction that she's now going more and more in. But uh, I, I thought, oh, uh, landscapes and bodies and corpses, like this is perfect for, yeah. for the book. Uh, like if you come up with some good ones, maybe uh, that could be the cover and maybe we could even do some illustrations like that. Um but she didn't end up getting to do this project. They they wouldn't give her permission to to illustrate the corpses. Um, so I said, "Well, just draw me like I'm a corpse. <laughs> I'm kind of <laughs> a, a corpsey, uh, double jointed arm and hand." Um, yeah. So I'm I'm also like naked on the cover of my own book, and I was like, "Well, if I mean like it." it's a good enough book, but like you think like that'll get people to buy it and read it, but apparently not. <laughs> but it's I, you as a core, it's you as a corpse. So it's, you know, there's that, that distancing. So. Yeah. I, yeah, I, uh, it's, it's difficult to write the book that you really wish you had had uh, when you were a younger adult. Um, feeling good about the fact that it's out there in the world for people to find, but feel like no one has the capability to find it. And that's sometimes the curse of publishing with small presses and sometimes the curse of being uh, the kind of writer who is stubborn about doing their own thing, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm still struggling, honestly, to reconcile what the book means to me and what I would like for it to be able to be to other people and uh, its lack of ability to find an audience. But uh, I've also been trying to keep in mind that people don't always discover things when you expect them to discover them. It's been the same with our band. Like our band has existed in effect for 13 years and uh, people are kind of like just starting to discover us uh, and we're just starting to take off in a way. Um, and uh to one end, it's very exciting, of course, but to the other end, uh, 
um, I and uh, to a much greater degree, Sean, are like, uh, well, where have you been this whole time? (laughs) People have talked about our last album, like assuming it's our first album. It's like, no, we, we, we made three other albums. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're real albums. Uh, you can still listen to them. Yeah, yeah. They uh I uh there was one cool thing I was thinking about Chicago, I forgotten. Um did uh been wanted to do more zines from the podcast, and there's like one issue. I call it a rear issue, and maybe it is, but um I don't know if they still have it over there, but it was on the shelves at uh, Quimby's bookstore. Oh, I love Quimby's. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. So if you're uh, traipsing around, uh, if you're traipsing around that area, maybe poke in. I don't know if it'll still be on the shelves. It's from a couple years ago. But anyways, gorgeous, wonderful, lovely bookstore, uh, Quimby's. Thanks for having the podcast scene on on, on your shelf. So I got to get out another issue or two to have it be, you know, Irregular printing schedule. The podcast scene is. Quimby's is a great bookstore. Like speaking of places to discover things and like. Oh. Yeah, it's an invaluable resource. I would say you know, like I went there, and um, I think it's the type of store when you have like particular type of mind, curiosity never seen this before and wanting to be an environment where you see a hundred, 200 things that you never seen before. But I found this like, like it's where I could find a book, um, independent published. And the book was Kathy Acker in Seattle. And it was like a study of the writer, Kathy Acker and what she did in Washington and what she did in Seattle and how she was involved with Raya girls. And I'm like, yeah, that's the rabbit hole. I'm glad somebody put all that together in the interviews. And it's that type of thing with the bookstore. I never know that fucking things exist. Like Kathy Acker in Seattle. There's, you know, how many copies of it. But it's exactly on that point. You're there at Quimby's. You're like, or or Powell's where I found your book, right? Like, I'm like, how else do you encounter? You're like, oh, what is this? Like, wonderful, curious thing. And um so yeah, shout out to Quimby's and uh, great, great, great bookstores and 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 everybody. Make sure you check out, uh, you know, Megan Lamb's uh, work, the one I found, uh, uh, Coward, um, and the music uh, from uh, from from Kill Scenes. Uh, Megan, I do have another big philosophical question uh, for you. Okay. And and, and yeah, and it is the the titular uh, question from the show. And then the question itself is, of course, is why is there something rather than nothing? Hmm. I think uh, well, I guess my short answer is in the interest of developing a shared language or a sense of community around something uh, to feel less alone, um, but also to explore the evolution of a something, like what something becomes over time uh, rather than uh, just living in this atemporal uh, nothingness or this. <laughs> yeah. 
that that's probably as close as I'm going to come to finding my way <laughs> to that question. But um, yeah, um, there there is something rather than nothing um, to to bridge the gaps, to fill the void, to um, to uh, bring us together both in uh, liminal temporality and uh, to help us see where we've come from and uh, where we might be going. I, 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 I like what, what you said about like, you know, for I heard quickly with the temporality and like space and time and that comes up like being placed in space and time that there's something there rather than avoid like existence within space and time. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I dig on that question. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, it's like uh, create creativity, too. So, like I say, the show is art and philosophy in liberation and for me i think they're all the same thing um like inquiry and um exploration with art um megan uh people get to find uh, your stuff and uh where 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 do people go um for the kill scenes uh for megan lamb writing for your stuff uh well for kill scenes uh my band uh we have uh we're on Bandcamp, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Music, we're on all the things. Uh, there's some site somewhere, I forget what it's even called, um, that like brings all of them together. But we're, we're on all of the streaming services. But uh, Bandcamp is probably the best place to uh, find all of our things and, and buy the albums. But um, And uh, I... My uh, latest book, Coward, is on Spite and Doivo. Uh, my uh, novel is on Apocalypse Party. Um, my uh, collection, um, uh, uh, all of all of your most private places, uh, should be. Or last I checked, it's still available on Spork. Um, uh, sometimes I, I've, I've, I've heard people tell me that they've struggled to, to get my book on Spork sometimes, but, um, ostensibly my last collection can be purchased, uh, from Spork Press. My, uh, novella that I wrote before that, um, Silk Flowers, uh, sadly is out of print, but if you make your way through my oeuvre and you really want to go back that far, I can send you a PDF. <laughs> wow. That is absolutely one. That's absolutely wonderful. Um, what about uh, kill scenes? Um, you, 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 that, where to find you play, you play a bit in uh, Chicago at all or. Yeah, we do. And we've uh, been starting to tour a little bit throughout the Midwest. We're hoping at, at some point to, to make our way out further east and further west but uh we all have have day jobs that that make that difficult and we all have jobs with uh radically different schedules but um yeah we we play all over chicago we're taking a break for a few months from playing shows while we uh work on the fifth album but uh yeah we um 
we try to update our shows on Bandcamp, so you can you can find where we're playing there if you are if you are in the Chicago area or or in the Midwest or um, maybe if and when we branch out further. <laughs> now, what's interesting about the the you had the single the cover of Short Term Effect? Um, I just thought about that song, you know, prior to getting on here, and I was like. That's a Cure song, which this isn't usually the case with me. Where I, I just I I've never really cared what the lyrics were. That's something that's really strange for me to say, particularly for a Cure song. Um, but it's one of those songs like you find off that 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 area in pornography and faith, where it's it's all mood and feeling, mm-hmm. and it's it. Robert Smith's a beautiful poet writer. Yeah, it's, it's it has like. It makes you feel a certain way and it really precisely evokes a feeling and an atmosphere. Uh, but if you try to interpret it, if you try to bake, break it down, it really, uh, it feels very indecipherable very quickly. It really resists interpretation. But yeah. I, I think we, I, I think we all like that about the song. I know because it's a really different thing because, you know, when like a a ballad of lament and we know the cure lyrics where you're listening and hearing about the story that's there. And there's some of those atmospherics where like, because I looked up, I literally typed in what is the meaning of a short term effect? Like it's something I would never do. And I I did that. And uh, I was like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's impressionistic and, uh, just dig on the song and the feel on that one. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, my, my personal, I don't want to say interpretation cause I don't know that it's a song that even wants to be interpreted, but, uh, I think I started to align that phrase with my experience of, uh, the madness of liminality, uh, yeah. the pandemic, <laughs> the pandemic yeah. is a short term effect. Yeah. That's or, what it is. That yeah. wasn't about, it was a, a presage of the, uh, the horrors of the pandemic and smoke in the air. Um, uh, Megan, uh, such a blast to have you on the show and to learn about kill scenes and your writing and, uh, talk some of Chicago. My favorite art museum in the world is in Chicago, the Art Institute. I adore that museum so much um, and uh, really like Chicago. But yeah, thanks for coming on to the show and, and, and kicking around on something rather than nothing. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I hope that the Kill Scenes does, despite the disjointed schedules amongst everybody, but there is a wonderful goth bar called the coffin club i know no (laughs) i've wanted to go there for a long time i i i see bands playing there all the time like oh it looks so sick it was really good now i had um i had been to this particular place uh it was called the lovecraft bar before that and i don't remember being as big i think they might have expanded it then it was closed and then I went to the Coffin Club a couple times, and it was full. Like went too late to try to get in, but on Friday and Saturday made it in both times. And uh, yeah, really, really digging on that. And with your interview coming up, uh, short term effect, it was like a nice, 
nice full vibe. So, um, yeah, to the kill scenes at the Coffin Club. Even even saying that, that's the that's the, that's the sentence. The kill scenes at the Coffin <laughs> Club. I'm already I'm already hyping you. All right, so. Uh, Thanks so much, uh, Megan, and really look forward to hearing uh, some more of your music and um, uh, your beautiful writing. Thanks so much. Yeah. Have a good rest of your Monday. You too.
This is something rather than nothing. And listeners, to stay connected with us and our guests, visit somethingratherthannothing.com. Join our mailing list for exclusive updates and access to guest-created art. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode, please like, subscribe, leave a review on your podcast platform. People really read that shit. Your support helps us reach more listeners and spread our community across the planet. This is a global show, and we like to give a shout-out to our many listeners across the world, including many listeners in Canada, Spain, Germany, UK, Argentina, Brazil, India, Thailand, and so many more places. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at something rather than nothing podcast for behind the scenes content. And the best way to help the show is to tell your friends about us. If you love it, they'll love it too. Tell your friends who love it. We love you. This is something rather than nothing podcast. <laughs>